Welcome into episode number 193 of Greatest Pod in the South. I'm Neil McCready, JG Tate with me as well. Uh, back with you guys after missing a week. Both had some travel stuff going on last week, but we're back uh, and with you here. Hope you are uh, having a great week. Thank you for making us a part of your week. Uh, Jay, how are you? I am great. It was great. Uh, Neil McCready, we had a chance to uh, hang out at a football game you and I did. Yeah. At the South Alabama Troy game. That's right. Saw you, your lovely wife. It was very nice. Yes, it was nice. You were on the field, of course, because you're a high roller, and I was in the stands because I'm a low roller. But that was a beautiful night for football in Mobile, and uh, two ball clubs that uh, looked like they were going to be top of the top of the table, so to speak. Although Troy really did a number on uh, South Alabama that night, Neil McCready. Boy, Troy played a physical brand of football, didn't they? I mean, I, I don't know. I, you know, there are days that you can see it, and when you're down in the field, you can really hear it. Troy was physical. I mean, they were they were intimidating. They John's done a fantastic job. I saw them in week one at Ole Miss, and they're so much better now. Um, just, just so much more confident. Just really know what they're doing. We still got a long way to go offensively, but defensively, they're, they're that's they're tough. They're a beast. I love that you had a chance to go though, because you've got two former Ole Miss assistants there, Kane Womack. Uh, at South Alabama, John Summerall, who's doing a, a great job. Both of those guys are doing really good work. Uh, Summerall, notably, I mean, because Troy was bad last year, and Troy's pretty damn good this year. So, Yeah, it was cool. Uh, I got to visit with both of them before the game a little bit, uh, two guys that I like a lot. Uh, it's no secret that, that Kane and I are pretty good friends. He'll bust my, bust my balls about stuff sometimes, so he's a, he's a good dude. Um, I think they're both uh, Power Five likely sec coaches in the not too terribly distant future agree and uh kane of course has the uh remarkable pedigree there with his dad dave being a, a legendary defensive coordinator at several stops in the sec so kane's got that here's the funniest part dave womack i covered him at ole miss for years as the dc always cool collected calm Sometimes after games, you hardly knew whether they won or lost. Just very calm, very collected, very poised. Dave down on the sidelines, just an absolute nervous wreck watching his son's team play. It was so funny to me. Just the part of that, the part of the being a dad it just never really goes away. You know, I mean, when you're a dad, you just, you're just, when your kid's doing something, you're just more nervous about it than, than you are if you're doing it or if you're just watching something like, Carson's got a uh, soccer game Thursday night at OHS, his first uh, – I, I think it's going to be his first high school start. And I'll be a nervous wreck all day. And, and for him, it's just a soccer game, and I'll be I'll be ready to, like, pace the walls and stuff. So it's uh, – I get it. But it was so funny to watch Dave in that environment. He could hardly speak, I mean, to you, you know. I mean, he was just pacing and nervous. And obviously the game didn't end the way that he wanted it to, but he, he's uh, he's – Certainly very proud of the job that his son has done in a short period of time there at South Alabama. They had a great atmosphere. That place was uh, it was full. They did a really good job with like fireworks and music, and it was a lot of fun. Um, it was I don't know what thirty thousand people maybe whatever it was. It was it was really cool. Troy brought a bunch of people. It, it was it was a great atmosphere for a Thursday night game. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, my daughter Maddie was in the uh, student section, jumping up and down and. Shaking her shaker, so to speak, proverbially. I'm, I'm, I'm sad that you didn't have a chance to hang out with her a little bit, but 
it happens sometimes. When you're a high roller, you're like right there on the sideline. I had to look down and wave at you and say, Neil, I'm way up here. Yeah, I, I'm a high roller. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I'm kind of a big deal. And, yeah, you are. And, uh, you know, I mean, I can't help it, Jay. It's just uh, it's what happens when you when you build a podcast empire. You just sort of become, I, I don't know, I kind of think of myself sort of like Elon Musk a little bit. You know, I just, yeah, kinda. Mm-hmm. just kind of take I things over. Similar. Very simple. He grew up in South Africa. You grew up in South Ruston. Um, you know, similar yeah. things there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just a lot of similarities. Uh, the father-son thing reminded me of one that just randomly jumped into my mind. I covered Faulkner University, which is a school in Montgomery. They won the 2001 NAIA basketball championship, coached admirably by Jim Sanderson, son of Wimp. And I was the lone reporter covering this, of course, because it's a small school. And Wimp was the color commentator for the Faulkner Radio Network. And Wimp could not watch the second half of that game he got under the table. And now Wimp is kind of an animated dude anyway. Yeah. But he literally crawled under the table and just kept asking Doug, who was the play-by-play guy, what was going on. <laughs> Not the ideal spot for a color commentator to be under the table, but he was there anyway. No, not at all. That's pretty fun. That was really one of the coolest things I ever did as a reporter was just going to Tulsa and covering them. And I thought it was going to be a couple of days, ended up being a week and a half, and they rolled and they just ran the table, man. Incredible young man by the name of Paul Little, who was like a power forward for Faulkner, just absolutely annihilated the whole tournament. He was like Larry Bird that week. It was nuts. A lot of fun. Sometimes you get in those weird, you know, when you used to be in Mobile and you would do like Bay Bear stuff or whatever, you you Mm -hmm. fall into some interesting stories. You've talked before about the uh, Brett Favre thing, too, like just interesting little assignments there that are kind of cool, you know. I actually got one of my favorite, one of my favorite assignments ever was a Bay Bears game on a like a random Wednesday or Thursday afternoon. It was Jake Peavy against Mark Pryor. Wow. And it was great. I mean, I got to go talk to both guys. And I got to hype it up for a couple of days. And uh, it was a packed place. It was a getaway day. I guess the Pryor's team, at the time they were the Diamond Jacks or whatever, that was their getaway day. And they just the way the schedules fell, they pitched against each other. And you were like, these two guys are both going to pitch in the major leagues, likely for a long time. And, and, likely both be really really good and that was i remember i remember i had jake peavy on my fantasy team this is back you know i I play in a league with a hundred man rosters so uh (laughs) you dig deep and jake peavy had been drafted i think in the fifth round by the padres he was going to go to auburn but they paid him big time money and he ended up going pro but back in these days you couldn't email as easily and text as easily so i'll be calling mccrady and being like how's jake looking man how's jake looking and then this one time you were like well they just pulled him and on a 2-2 count in the third inning. And I was like, what is he hurt? And you go, no, nah, he hit 50 pitches. Like, yeah. <laughs> they literally take him out in the middle of an at-bat. Yeah. Like, that, it was crazy. Back then, the, the Padres were very disciplined about that. When you hit 50 pitches or 60 pitches or whatever they had drawn up for you, no matter what, that was it. You didn't throw an extra pitch. You threw so 60 was- pitches. By the way, speaking of that, that, uh, that league, kind of the founder of that league, John Winkle, who was – uh, very special to a whole lot of people here in Oxford. Uh, passed away. I guess it was Sunday, Sunday I believe. Sunday yeah. or Monday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know. He he and I were, I guess, kind of two of the founders of that league that I think you're still in. Um, I am. And he was still in it too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I was just email, emailing with him. Uh, I don't know, three weeks ago. 
he had just had a classroom named after him there, uh, I believe, at the Trent Lott Center. I'm not exactly sure where, but uh, yeah, it's at, the, at the honors, the honors school, I think. Honors school. Sure. I think that's right. Yeah. And uh, you know, he he spent a whole lot of his career as a uh, esteemed professor at Ole Miss, and uh, his real passion, his pleasure, was baseball. And yeah, he was the commissioner of our league, and uh, just a really interesting dude. He always knew he was very smart, very bright person, way way brighter than me. And I still feel like, you know, he was in his seventies, but I still felt like he, he left us too early. So anyway, he touched a lot of lives there at Ole Miss. And if you uh, remember professor Winkle, I'm sure you have uh, good th- feelings about him. So he will be missed. Neil McCready. Yeah, for sure. I have, I have not, I've not talked to him and I had not talked to him in a long time. Um, but yeah, uh, I always, back when that league first got started, he was, he was, um, uh, a great guy to get to know. And like you said, you knew he was an incredibly smart person remember he loved yeah. the, loved the red sox oh he sure did i yep. mean the name of his team is the splendid splinters you know named after ted williams uh also when we, we when you go to mobile from where i come from that means you're going to bucky's which is technically listed in robertsdale alabama but it's in loxley really i love me some bucky's neil mccrady uh it seems like everybody's kind of a gaga over this and it's very america you know it's just have you been in one I have my brother lives in Katy, and there's a Bucky's that's literally three, four, five minutes from his house. Wow, how lucky is he? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bucky's is Americana, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it's just massive. There's food everywhere. There's drink everywhere. They have merch. They've got candy. They've got uh, questionable looking women. Uh, no, I mean not really that necessarily, but it's just kind of a it's a slice of Americana, you know? And, yeah. I just love going in there. They always make their food so fresh. It's the only place in the world that I only only gas station I'd ever go to where I'll grab some food off like one of those little trays because they're actually back there making it. You can see them kicking them out and there's enough people eating them to where they actually get taken. So it's not going to be sitting in the red light district for 20 minutes. You know, <laughs> anyway, it got me a sliced brisket sandwich. Yeah. Damn good, bro. And on the way back, I stopped again and we got a hot club sandwich. So that was good. That's good. Which also was- saw a five foot tall inflatable Bucky. <laughs> I did not buy that, but I thought about it. I really, really thought about it. It would look good there in the back. You could hang out on the uh, on the arcade That's what she there. Said. Uh, yeah, I'm running out of space here behind me on my video screen, but uh, we're working on. It. I'm going to get me a big Auburn uh, neon light right here, me McCready. I don't know how you feel about that. I'd be willing to get you an Iowa one. I would love an Iowa neon light. That would be fantastic. Do you stand behind Kirk Ferentz right now? Because he sure acted no. like an asshole the other day. No, it's time for him to go. He's hit the wall, right? Where he's been there. He's been there a long time. Did a lot of good things. It's time to walk away and let them honor you and retire and probably take your son with you. No, no problem. No problem to it. Take your son with you, <laughs> please. And just hand it off, right? And go off. Walk into the sunset. And most people at this point, if if he would do that now. I would say the overwhelming majority, I mean, 90 plus percent of people would say, great job. You're the guy forever. Name the field, all that stuff. But it's time to walk away. And you sort of know when that time arrives for a coach and it has arrived. And when you start taking pot shots at the media um, and, and specifically what the media make and stuff like that, you've lost it because the media is not the reason you're losing football games. The media is not the reason that your team's getting blown out. 
The media is not the reason that your team's a laughing stock. You and when you lose sight of that and you start attacking the media, it's always, 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 always a bad sign. There's no exception to this rule. Yeah. To recap, uh, they had another bad loss the other day, and then some of the reporters there post game were kind of giving him hell about it, which is the way it goes sometimes. You know, there's different ways to go about it, but I guess he didn't like the way that they were being kind of terse with their questions, and so in the follow up press conference i guess on sunday or monday he was like you know it did kind of suck us losing this game but at least i don't have that guy's job and he's talking about a reporter basically looking down on reporters and all that kind of stuff and it's just so like like you said neil when people start taking those kinds of shots like it's time to go man (laughs) i I, I cannot i cannot recall one exception to that rule I'm, i'm i'm really racking my brain right now like is there a coach that's taking pot shots at media like specifically where they get personal and talk about what you make or what you do or what you look like or anything like that. Is there any case of that where the guy recovers and, and really works out? Well, I mean, Saban has been hard on reporters in the past. Now, he's, I've never seen him mock someone's salary. That, that's below right. him. He's but never gotten personal. No, I haven't seen that. But he's, he will give you hell. He will. But his is more about, well, why are you asking that? And what what are you what are you getting at? But it's never – you know, I'm better than you. At least, at least I'm. At least I'm not you. I I, I make ten million dollars, and you don't. He's, he never goes there. And you know, I think, and and also Saban sometimes when he gets and look, he wins so much that he doesn't get a lot of hard questions. But sometimes when he does, he he answers them. This was this was weak. Parents should know better. You know, and this they they're bad. There's and. <laughs> And you're not when you're this bad, and and one of the reasons that you're so bad is that your offense is anemic, and the coordinator of your offense is your son. That's it's gonna get touchy at some point. You have to expect that he's a big boy. You make we're talking, about, of, we're talking about Iowa, by the way, <laughs> yeah. not an SEC team. I mean, imagine imagine that at Auburn or Georgia or Tennessee, just wouldn't go well. No, nah, I don't think it would. Because you start saying, you know, you're a reporter. What do you make? Like, come on, man. A reporter is like most people, you know, just making your average newspaper reporter these days, probably making 60K or something like that. And, you know, or less or less. And, and, in, and in that scenario, the reporter's doing his job. Yeah, he's absolutely. asking the questions that have to be asked. And those questions are not fun to ask. They're they're not easy to ask. And and. Sometimes you, you know, you get a little nervous asking them, but you're doing your job because it's your job to to talk, to get the answers that the public wants, your subscribers or whatever. And sometimes that means you got to ask a difficult question. And for him to be that way was crappy. Uh, Auburn's dealing with something over here. It's kind of blowing up right now that I think a lot of programs either will deal with or currently are dealing with to some level. So Auburn's had a few kids ask to be redshirted over here who are not injured, okay? And we know what time it is. They're trying to preserve eligibility for a jump into the portal. Some of the players uh, yesterday, Landon King, who's like a tight end slash wide receiver, announced that he is going to stop playing and enter the transfer portal. So he's very transparent about what he's doing. But sometimes some of these other players will just say, you know, I want to get on the scout team. I want to redshirt. Harson has a policy that you either compete or you get the hell out. Okay. So there's no voluntary red shirting and 
Auburn people are not very happy with Brian Harson right now, and they are using this as more explanation for why he sucks and why he needs to be fired immediately. I have thought about this, and I think his policy is sound. And I think, in fact, if you are a football coach at a major college program and you don't do that, I think it's a failure. And I know of a coach who is at a Power 5 program who allowed, who has allowed star play, well scholarship players to move to the scout team so they can preserve their eligibility and they, he knows they're going to be leaving. Now, I could not do that. I could not have a scholarship player come to me and ask to be on the scout team. I'd want to slap him. You don't seek the scout team when you're a scholarship player. Anyway, that is his policy. I would. I know that it's the policy of a handful of SEC coaches that I was able to confirm it with. I don't know about Lane Kiffin. Um, he's probably more forward-thinking about the portal than anybody else. I'm trying to think. Lane had one player, but he wasn't a star player. But he's a player who probably could help them right now, the beginning of the year, jump in the portal. And I haven't seen or heard from him since. Yeah, I mean, so at that point, when a kid does that, you kind of have to push him away, right, from the from the rest of the team. Like, he's not going to work out with you. No. You wouldn't allow a kid to work out with you who's, who's going in the portal. So No, I, I don't have an issue with what Harson's doing. Harson's job is to try to win football games at Auburn. His job is to try to uh, do what's best for the Auburn program for as long as he's the head coach. And when they fire him, then they pay him the money that he's due, and he walks away, and he's no longer charged with that responsibility. But for today, he's the head football coach at Auburn, and they're paying him, and so he's doing what's in the best interest of that program. I don't have a problem with it. I don't either. I just think there's a fair number of people over here, Neil, who think he's tanking, meaning he wants to go, he's done, and that he's just doing things to kind of tank the program on his way out. I have no reason to believe that. I think if that were true, he would be blackballed to the point where he wouldn't even coach high school anymore. And I honestly think he's trying. But we know people everywhere through the SEC know about the sabotage attempt that went down in February, right, where he was under investigation for nebulous reasons, officially because he wasn't treating his players well, which is bullshit. They were trying to fire him because they didn't like him. It failed. He's still here. He can't recruit because – Every school and college is going to negative recruit them over that, just as I would, just as you would. I say, why would you go to Auburn when they tried to fire them? After one year, he ain't going to make it. So Auburn sabotaged itself with that one. And now everybody's mad that they suck. And I understand the frustration over Auburn sucking because Auburn shouldn't suck. But we also have to acknowledge the fact that Auburn tripped on its own dick here and he's not fully responsible for that. He's not, he's not. And what's going to happen? He's going to get fired and they're going to owe him 15 million. And I guess that'll be the end of the transaction. But I'll tell you, Neil, there's some weird stuff going on over here because here we are. We're coming up on November here. Okay. Yeah. It's currently yep. October 26. Everybody and their kid knows that Harson's probably not going to be here next year. Right. Auburn doesn't have an AD. The president is taking his sweet old time figuring out what he wants to do here. He's got it down to like two or three people, but he's just kind of wants to meet with them in person. And it's taken this week and next week and all this waiting and deliberating. So can I tell you what I've heard on the Auburn AD thing and tell me where, where, where I'm wrong? Let's, let's do it. Okay. I'd heard that John Hartwell, the, the uh, Utah State AD, was the leader in the clubhouse for the longest time. And he very well might still be. But I heard there's another candidate that 
has maybe some support in the SEC office that's getting some push. Yeah, absolutely. Um, His name is Eddie Nunez. Uh, he's the athletic director at New Mexico. That's, he played that's, basketball under Donovan at Florida. That's right, Nunez. And he spent 13 years at LSU doing a whole bunch of stuff, but capital projects, fundraising, sport administration, like he did it all. And uh, yeah, he, he looks like a great candidate too. I'm with you. I thought Hartwell, I probably still feel like Hartwell's the the favorite here, but Nunez is definitely a factor. And I keep having people tell me there could be a mystery candidate, but I don't know who it is. And there's always a mystery. There's always a mystery candidate. And about 10% of the time, there's actually one. Um, so Auburn is behind schedule here, in my opinion. I mean, they're not in position to hire an AD for at least another week, I wouldn't think. So now you're getting into November. Yeah. The president is, it's a new president. He's only been in office since May. He's taken his time. So now you, what, what are you going to do here? So you're going to hire a coach, uh, AD, let's just say best case scenario, November 3rd or 4th or something. Then you're going to give him like two weeks to figure out, well, here's some data. Watch a couple games and see if you want to keep this guy or not. I mean, a, a decision has to be made by December 1st because the recruiting cycle, the, the portal opens on the 5th. The early signing period is the 21st. Like, if they're going to save or even try to salvage this dog shit recruiting class they've got going, it's got to be done. You need to give somebody time. And all this waiting and deliberating, I'm telling you, it's wrecking. It's going to be an absolute mess of a cycle. Again, half of Auburn's class from last year is gone or leaving, and it wasn't a good class to start with. I don't know, man. So what's the who's the hot coaching name? Is it still Grimes and Freeze? Or are we are we adding on, or, or is, are we just guessing at this point? Yeah, I think we're just guessing at this point. I mean, we still don't even know who the AD is. I think if it's Hartwell, you got to think Freeze and, and Grimes are going to be right at the top. He's got a relationship with both of those guys. Eddie Nunez, you know, I don't know. I don't know enough about him uh, to make any kind of thoughts about where he would be going or what he'd be thinking. I'll tell you this, man. You think about a dude from New Mexico, you're like, what the hell? He came in, dude, he took over for a guy who was under federal indictment for embezzlement. And it wasn't one dude stealing money. They had a whole system in New Mexico where they were siphoning money off the top of the AD budget. I mean, seriously, this is some of the shadiest shit you ever heard of. And the reason y'all haven't heard about it is because it was in New Mexico. But Nunez came into a hornet's nest and he got it all cleaned up, man. They're back to profitability. I know their football team ain't worth a damn at all, but. Just the fact that he came into such a toxic environment and got it straightened out so quickly, I think, is, is pretty damn impressive. And he, yeah, like you mentioned, Sankey likes him a lot. That's what I've heard. That's worth something. But anyway, for those of you, I, I know a lot of the Ole Miss fans are that way. When you like watching Auburn struggle, <laughs> and you like seeing Auburn wallow in the mud, as it often does, there is more to come. Definitely more to come. Uh, an interesting week in the world of uh, SEC football last week, Neil McCready, one that was ultimately not very satisfying for your people. The Ole Miss Rebels going to LSU, a game that I literally had texted you that morning and said, how is Ole Miss not a touchdown favorite, if not more? And I told you, Jay. Jay, I don't know, man. <laughs> oh, no, dude. Be careful. I mean, I'm on the lane train, like, front of the tr- front of the tracks. Like, let's go, you know. And they start out super hot and look great and then just, God, this party really died. Yeah, it died quick. If you take away the first play of the second quarter, which was a field goal from um, Jonathan Cruz to give Ole Miss a 17-3 to lead, if you take that play away for the next 44 – or just do it from there. For the next 44 minutes and 57 seconds, LSU won 42-3. to 42-3. Mm. Well, to three. It, When you put it that way. 
42-3. That's an ass kicking at 42 to 3. 42 yeah, to 3 is right. alarming, right? It's that, that means a lot of stuff got exposed. LSU's six and two right now. A team that I had completely written off as like a disaster, right? Yeah, we all wrote them off because of that stupid Florida State game where they had the two fumbled punts and that's why they lost. Otherwise, they would have won that game and missed it. But at the extra point blocked, all that stuff. Remember that? I mean, that, that's yeah. We did all that stuff, and it's like, hey, slow down. Still got some talent on that team. And then you know, Tennessee blows them out. They should have lost to Auburn. And then they go to Florida and they 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 win, and everybody goes, oh, Ole Miss is going to kill them. And I was like, well, well, the problem with the Ole Miss is that you just don't know who they are because the way their schedule fell. And sure enough. Yeah, I know. You got to be careful over there. I mean, if you're too real, the people at Rebel Grove get a little upset. Well, I mean, I just think I think fans are that way everywhere. I, I'm, I, it's, I'm in the, I'm in a weird spot. I, I, I love the Cubs, right? I don't like. I'm the exact opposite of the, the people that want the sunshine pumped. Do not spend this off season telling me, oh yeah, hey Neil, the Cubs are going to get Carlos Correa, and the Cubs are going to be in on Aaron Judge, and the Cubs are going to do. This this young first baseman, he's the next damn Lou Gehrig, and and it's all this is they're going to be so good, and they're going to get this pitcher out of Japan, and he's going to come in and be just like you, Darvish, except better. And I don't want that. Don't tell me unless it's true. Tell me the truth. Go, hey, they might be in on Correa, but I wouldn't get your hopes up. He's probably going to St. Louis. Um, they're letting Contreras walk, right? I, I want the truth. Give me the truth. I'll handle it. I'll process it. And then when the offseason goes to hell, I can get mad at the Cubs, not mad at the people who built up the expectations. But this is my theory, and it's a working theory, and I think I'm on to something. They kind of want people like you and me to tell them, hey, man, this team's really good. This team, this team might go 12-0. and This team's 10-2 and is the floor. It's special. They got this chemistry. They got this – they're going to be awesome. And then that way – they get something to get excited about, and then if it goes bad, they don't have to get mad at Lane Kiffin and the Rebels. They can get mad at me. They can get mad at you when you're like, hey, Auburn's going to be special this year. I mean, 10-2, and 11-1, and one, challenge for the whole damn thing, and then when they go 6-6, six and six, they're like, damn, Jay. And I get that. I understand that. That's a psychology thing. It's not even – it's not personal. I totally understand it. Anyway, being realistic about Ole Miss, still a good team. Just not uh, championship quality at this point. No, I mean they're good. They could finish ten and two. I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know if they will or not. We're gonna find out a whole lot on Saturday night, but they could, because, but you know, but no, they, they weren't. They clearly weren't ready for for LSU and, and that environment, and and you saw that, and you see people do the well if this one play here and this one play here, and like forty two to three and three quarters. I mean, you know, that's that's just hard to spin that away. Agreed. Uh, two teams that will not win 10 games this year, Missouri and Vanderbilt went at it in what I like to call the relegation battle, the SEC. And Vanderbilt made a game of this, Neil McCready. They were driving late in the game. They were just on the edge of field goal range, had a fourth and one, and got stopped. Had they not gotten stopped, who knows what was going to happen there. Oh, could have gotten overtime. Could have gotten more Missouri-Vanderbilt. <laughs> well, that's all we needed. That's all you want. Did you see Commodore Walt, by the way? It was unbelievable. So oh, my God. They had 17 people there. It was it incredible. It was so emotional. So emotional. God, it's like, beautiful. One girl was using those plastic hand clappers. I mean, it's it's it's, it's oh. intimidating. Made, you, made me cry. 
It's so powerful. <laughs> Brought a tear to your eye, huh? Yeah, it did. It was powerful. One uh, day. Alabama pretty much wasted uh, Mississippi State the other day. Uh, a tough week for them. Uh, of course, they had a player uh, die, which is awful. And then you got to somehow regroup and, and play a huge game like that. And they didn't quite get it done. Alabama wins 30-6. to six. And uh, Mike Leach went on a very, even for him, an odd rant about how <laughs> Mississippi State players are no longer going to have arms generations from now <laughs> for lack of use. <laughs> Did you hear that? Yeah, it's just so bizarre. It's really funny. The first question that he fielded after that game was a very odd question. It was like, hey, man, y'all had a player die. Was it tough to kind of get ready for the game? I mean, I don't know where you're supposed to go with that. Yeah, what's the, I mean, yes, the answer is He yes. said, yeah, it was tough. Next question. Like, I don't even, God bless him, man. Because if I was a coach, I, I might have let it rip right there. That's a very insensitive way to pray. What, what do you think? Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, what I, you I recruited this kid. I promised his parents I'd look out for him, and he's dead. How do you think I feel about it? How do you think we all feel about and you're, it? And you're wanting to put that in a football context because the football game doesn't matter. The 18-year-old boy who's gone matters. So let's not let's not put the two in one sentence, please. Thank you. I mean, I love me some reporters, having been one for 20-something years now, but there are some really dumb questions asked by reporters, I'm telling you. Well, there are It ain't just all the other. It happens at Auburn, too. It happens everywhere. There are just people that football means too much. It means too, too much. much. It means too much. You need to go kiss a girl or something. I don't know. Hug your mom. Yeah. Uh, South Carolina beats Texas A&M. Of course, I enjoyed every minute of that one. Jimbo didn't quite have enough that day. His quarterback situation is just not good. <laughs> and now the Aggies are three and four, Neil McGrady. Yeah. Here's a stat for you. This is for, through uh, Brett McMurphy. Through 55 games, Jimbo Fisher's 37 and 18. His predecessor at Texas A&M, who got fired for losing, was 39 and 16 at the same level. In the SEC, Jimbo Fisher's 22 and 15, which is better than Kevin Sumlin's 18 and 15. But against the SEC West, Kevin Sumlin was 13 and 12. Jimbo Fisher so far is 13 and 13. Versus ranked teams, Kevin Sullivan was 10 and 11. Kevin Sumlin, I should say. Jimbo Fisher's 9 and 11. Uh, Kevin Sumlin was three and one in bowls. Jimbo Fisher was three and zero oh in bowls. Though it should be noted that they backed their way out of a bowl so that Wake Forest wouldn't beat them. Neither one won an SEC title, and uh, Jimbo's making nine and a half million dollars a year. And they they would love nothing more to, than to buy him out. But I mean, his buyout good. is eighty six million dollars. Can't can't be can't do it. I mean, there's no way that can happen, right? I'm always told that Texas A&M has money like you can't even imagine how much money well, they don't have got. That. They're not doing that. You just can't right. fire him at that much money. You no, know, and everybody goes, hey, they're going to make him hire an offensive coordinator. What, what do you mean they're going to make him? What, what, if, what if he goes, I'm not doing it. Fire me. Give me my money. I'll, I'll, I'll leave. I'll go to the ranch. I'm, I'm going to call plays. That's what I do. I call plays. It's going to be my offense. We're going to keep running it. Oh, man. I... I don't really hate Texas A&M. You know, I hate Jimbo, but God, what a mess that is. I mean, Auburn at least can get rid of their guy for $15 million. That ain't too bad. No, I mean, you know, it's $80 million. $86 million. Sheesh. Wish I had that much money. You know what I would do with it? I'd buy a lot of Cathed Distillery products. They're makers mm-hmm. of fine spirits and other delicious refreshments that can be found throughout the Southeast and beyond. Their newest product is spreading like wildfire through the fire pits, shindigs, and get-togethers of my locale and yours. It's Cathead Sparkling. Mm-mm-mm. Sparkling vodka cocktail in a colorful aluminum vessel, 5% ABV, 
100 calories exactly. And as always, gluten-free, sugar-free, and vegan Cat Head Sparkling comes in eight packs. And they come in groups of four different flavors. It's two different groups of four. In the first group, in the old school group, you get the limeade, the strawberry lemonade, the mandarin, and the cranberry. In the new stuff, you get the mango, raspberry, cucumber, and the pineapple. You can find those in grocery stores, convenience stores, and liquor outlets near you. Cathead, of course, initially made waves with their Cathead Honeysuckle and their Cathead Blue Cat Vodkas. Unbelievable stuff. Currently, their new, uh, their new taste, the new flavor is the Cathead Bitter Orange. It's a perfect complement uh, to any cocktail you're going to be making that could use vodka or whatever else. Cathead, of course, is muy delicioso by itself. I have a bottle of the Cathead Honeysuckle in my freezer right now. And I've been known to uh, pour a little something, something and uh, take that one straight down the hatch. I know that you and Gabe made fun of me for that many years ago, but I think we came to an accord on that. We did. Mm-hmm. You also can find their pecan flavor, which is like a green cat. Uh, they're all delicious and they have a role in making a great cocktail. Of course, you guys know I was anti-cocktail at one time, but I am no longer. Catheads bourbons are excellent as well. You guys know about the 90, soul, 90 proof old soul, which has been around for a minute. But their single barrel old soul at 109 proof is a terrific standalone pour. One of my favorites, certainly for the money. Uh, you, you may also be able to find the 10 type series. It's their seven year, 119 proof bourbon. Might want to put a little water in that bad boy. Uh, and if you ever have a chance to see their 13 year or 15 year old souls, which is like has the great dark gray sticker, just just buy it. Don't don't even fuss about it. It's movie movie delicioso look you need cathead in your life seek out their cathead sparkly or any of their fine spirits including the bristow gin or the hoodoo chicory liqueur next time you're out if your favorite bar or restaurant doesn't carry cathead make a request ask them to carry cathead because life's better in cat with cathead in it do what you got to do and get that cathead and i'll tell you what if you have 86 million dollars uh sitting in your uh, in your pocket you probably want to uh, hire an investor i would suggest the people at pinnacle they're based in madison mississippi but they've got clients in more than 20 states they've got advisors in multiple states as well so you can get in touch with them they'll sit down with you and they'll say hey what do you want to do with this 86 million dollars and uh figure it out you know how you, we want to travel what do you want to do you want to you want to build you know Get it? You want to invest it into other businesses? What do you want to do with eighty-six million dollars? They'll help you, and they'll build a plan that's made just for you. And even they'll build plans for people that don't have eighty-six million dollars. Just have maybe eight point six million dollars, or eight hundred and sixty thousand dollars, whatever the case may be. They'll take care of you at Pinnacle. It's mypinwealth.com. M Y P I N N wealth.com. And if one of the things you want to do with that money is travel, well, you want the trips to be special. You want the trips to be you know, those that every so often create a lifetime of, of unique, special memories with your family. And uh, John Edwards, Regency Travel Incorporated, can take care of that for you. He's done it for me. He's done it for Jay. He'll do it for you as well. All you got to do is get in touch with John. Just give him some parameters. Give him a budget. He'll give you options. You don't have to live anywhere near Memphis. You can if you want to. It's a nice place, but you don't have to. 901-494-3387. Or Jay Edwards at RegencyTravel.net. We were on a vacation last week in, uh, I guess you call it Miramar Beach or Sandestin. We were right in that area. And uh, there's a new, well, new to me, uh, restaurant there called Maple Street. And they serve, like in the mornings, they serve like uh, biscuits or it's kind of like uh, all the cart pieces. Maybe you have biscuit and gravy, maybe a little waffle with a little chicken on that, whatever. It's delicious, et cetera, et cetera. 
So we're in there one morning and there, there's obviously like some kind of a travel softball situation going on. Maybe it was a college team. I don't know what was going on. But man, softball moms, this group of softball moms. You guys know I was talking about Amy Schumer's concert like two, maybe two months ago. Yeah, six weeks, something like that. That was the greatest collection of hot chicks I'd ever seen. Like that were right in my wheelhouse, you know. But this group of like softball moms. Yeah. It was right there, man. A lot of eyeliner. A lot of yeah. eyeliner, a lot of very tight fitting that they probably should have been wearing, like like sweat tops. Yeah. And we've talked before about straddling that line between you know straight and, and lesbian. <laughs> and and uh, they were right in that, that, that gray area, too. I was explaining that to uh, my intern the other day. My intern, Henry, he's like 20, you know? Yeah. And I was like, I kind of like girls that are in that, you know, that area. And he just looks at me and goes, what? <laughs> 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 I said, why? I said, son, you're going to understand this someday. <laughs> he said, I don't think I am. Henry, I don't think you will, buddy. Anyway, I was very impressed with that. Otherwise, it was a pretty nondescript trip. Although the weather was great. We we ventured up to uh, like uh, where the rich people are, Rosemary, Alice Beach, et cetera, et cetera. I've never been up that way because I'm just not high roller enough. I'm not Neil McCready. But uh, it's weird to roll down that street and know that every single house is four, five, six, seven, eight million dollars. Jeez. So I want to go back to the softball moms. They're di- yes. they're different than the soccer moms. Soccer, oh yeah. Soccer they moms look, are a little more elegant, maybe. Yeah. They're more likely to drive like one of those Lexus trucks or like a suburban with like blacked out windows and a salt life. No, not salt life. 30A sticker on it, something like that. What do know? softball moms drive? Oh, they're driving like um they're driving like a Camry wagon. They yeah. also might be driving uh, maybe a Forerunner with a uh, a pink buckhead on it uh, to say like you know chick guns are for chicks or whatever. Yeah, like it's, it's going to be a rougher group. Uh, and again, probably clothes are a little more ill fitting, more eyeliner for sure. Probably you just if you like them a little trashier, maybe like like a bad color job. You're not getting the gradients. You're just going white and dark roots. Yeah. This is just random thoughts that are coming off the top of my head here, but yeah, I appreciate them. I appreciate them. And as a former travel softball dad for a couple yep. of years, yeah, I'm here to tell you that if you're, if you're looking for enthusiastic parents, softball, travel softball is where it's at because those people are insane. Like they're aggressively enthusiastic, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I never got into a fight, honestly, as a soccer parent. I mean, there were a few times when words were shared, but it wasn't like sure. an actual, Dude, I one summer we got into like almost three fist fights. Like not me, but like our people. And yeah, you know, if my people are gonna get a fist fight, I'm jumping in. I mean, I I was I had my back on on those fights. Montgomery Gray All Stars. I'm telling you, down for life. Okay, <laughs> I it's a very aggressive situation, and that's just the way it is. I don't. You never lived that life because your girls were more like uh, like dancers and stuff, right? Like yeah, Caroline danced. Uh, Campbell played very little sports. She she. She made the middle school team in the seventh grade, um, and I think it's jammed a finger, maybe, and that was it. Um, that was it. Okay. And then she she briefly flirted with middle school softball, and then she came home one day and just goes, "It's not for me." And we're like, "Okay, cool enough." And uh, and yeah, that was it. So no, we never really never really did that life. But I can, I, I can, I've seen enough of it to know what you mean about the uh, kind of you know a little a little trashy. Well, yeah, but I don't mean that in a bad way. No, you I mean, like a little trashy. You, oh, I do. Yeah, you, 
Is there a is there a like a line on the on the trash meter where you get to a place where you're like okay that's too much? Yeah, but I haven't gotten there yet. But I would imagine it's there somewhere. You know, Confederate Railroad had a song in the early '90s called "I Like My Women Just a Little Bit on the Trashy Side." Did not know that. uh, Kind of became like an anthem, I guess. You know, interestingly, my wife is not trashy, but she can be trashy, which is what I love about her. She's a chameleon. Courtney's not trashy. No, she's not. Like in her own, but when she's out there in the softball field, she's got got a little fire to her. And people are saying bad things about Caroline, our pitcher. She's somebody that will stand up and have a little word. Yeah, I can see that. And when the mom came over to me, this has been the soccer mom situation, but I had a soccer mom come over to me and tell me that I need to shut my mouth or whatever. And oh. she, just, she said, Courtney goes, I'll handle this. And she goes, you're going to get your finger out of my husband's face right now. And that oh. girl was like, whoa, you know, like this girl's my, like a foot shorter than her. My goodness. But <laughs> I mean, uh, no, I, you don't want to fight Courtney. Uh, you, uh, no, I don't no. want to fight her. I don't want to fight her either, but. But she's very charming. I enjoy talking to Courtney. She, yeah, she enjoys you, Neil. She she does. I, I like um, Courtney a lot. She she really does enjoy you. Um, <laughs> all right, looking ahead to no, she does. She, I mean, I I just think she she thinks you're funny. Um, but she likes Laura too. Yeah, she, she likes both of y'all. I like. I wish we could kind of hang out a little bit. I actually thought about going to uh, Professor Winkle's uh, service this week, but it's tough to get all the way up there and all the way back. Um. In, in a day or in a day and a half or whatever. Well, let me I'll know. Send, we'll, yeah, let me know. Yeah, I'll send that stuff over to you. Okay. Um, this weekend in the SEC, to me, this you got some pivotal games here for uh, in, in a few cases. Uh, games that I think are going to determine uh, if this is going to be an okay season or it's going to be a shitty season. Uh, I'll do these in order uh, of, of when they're going to be starting. You've got Arkansas at Auburn. That's an 11 a.m. game on SEC Network. Uh, I, I, the line on this confuses me a little bit. I've got Arkansas by three and a half. Yeah, and this is a team. Arkansas obviously you pay pretty close attention. You've got two girls there. Mm-hmm. They've been a little disappointing, Neil, at four and three. You know, I still think that their run offense is good enough to just overwhelm Auburn at this point. They had that game against Texas A and M that still haunts them to this day. Uh, and then they played without Jefferson, their quarterback, against Mississippi State and lost. Um, so their season's kind of weird. They could easily be five and two. I mean, just just a, a, a width of a ball from five and two. Um, at which point maybe we'd be talking about them differently. But um, I think this is a really close game. I, I think this is a field goal game. You don't? No, I don't. I think Arkansas is better, but, of course, I thought Ole Miss was going to be a lot better than LSU last week and shows you what I know. I mean, Ole Miss needed an onside kick in the middle of that, what, late third quarter to kind of take control of that Auburn game. I mean, Auburn was right there with them, and then they got this. They got the onside kick worked. It was a great call, and they, they got it. And went up two scores, and for that they made Auburn play catch up. And even though Auburn, but Auburn did close to seven again. Then Ole Miss scored again and made it fourteen, and that was that. But Ole, I mean, Ole Miss didn't just blow Auburn off the field, man. They didn't. All right, fair enough. Um, you know, most of my subscribers at AuburnSports.com are not fans of Harson and would like to have seen him gone three weeks ago. So anything that gives him an opportunity to win a football game is something that they are not happy with. So I think he has a real opportunity. I think that's a track meet at Jordan Hare Saturday morning. I I think both teams score a bunch of points. My people are going to be cheering against Auburn. I'm telling you, a lot of them are going to, they just want him out like yesterday. Yeah, I get it. Uh, You got Georgia and Florida in the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, two 30 in Jacksonville, Florida. That's going to be the CBS game. It looks like it's going to be cloudy in 73. So that'd be a nice day for drinking and just generally getting tore up. Uh, Georgia, a 22 and a half point favorite in that one. And I think the Gators fans are kind of like the Auburn fans at this point. Like, 
who even cares anymore? <laughs> so many points in that game. 22 and a half. That's a bunch. Yeah. And that's a and lot. Florida's an okay team. I mean, Georgia's yeah. obviously really, really good. But yeah. Just so many points. That's a game I won't be watching. Uh, another game I won't be watching is uh, yeah, South Carolina at Missouri. No, I'm, I take it back. Missouri at South Carolina. Yeah. That's going to be in the SEC Network at 3 o'clock. Uh, South Carolina, a four-point favorite. Riding high after beating Jimbo last week. Spencer Rattler, not quite the guy that I thought he was. He's not the prince who was promised, that's for sure. For sure. But uh, I don't know. Just Missouri a game, I guess. Close games. They play close games. They've lost a close game to Auburn, a close game to uh, – who'd they play? Florida? I can't remember. They Yeah, Florida. They just lose close games. They barely beat Vanderbilt. They'll probably play another close game against Gamecocks. Yeah, I don't. If I'm a Missouri fan, I just don't know what to do here because it's like you're encouraged by the fact that Missouri's competing, but you're also discouraged because they don't win enough. And the loss at Auburn is just inexplicable. I don't know how it happened. It's just like black magic sorcery or something. Uh, at six o'clock on the main ESPN channel, you're going to have Kentucky at Tennessee. Kentucky five and two. Tennessee seven and zero. Oh. Tennessee a twelve and a half point favorite there at home. I know they're rolling. They look really, really good. I don't know. Kentucky can be good, particularly when Will Levis plays well. So, kind of a tricky one there. I don't know. You know what's weird about this game is that Tennessee, for as great as they are on offense, they're not that great on defense. And Kentucky can move the football in different ways, especially now that Rodriguez is there and Levis is quasi-healthy. It's got a chance to be interesting. I do think Tennessee wins, but that number's kind of big. Twelve and a half points, that's a lot of points. Well, I can remember a time when I was in Kentucky where they would never beat Tennessee, like just every damn year. Kind of like this Tennessee-Alabama thing until this year, you know. 6.30 on SEC Network, the third game on SEC Network. It's going to be uh, Ole Miss at Texas A&M. Lane Kiffin v. Jimbo Fisher, a game where the Ole Miss Rebels are two-and-a-half-point favorites in College Station. You know who I'm pulling for. Who do you think is going to win? <laughs> Ole Miss by 1,000. No, honestly, I say Ole Miss by 10. Yeah, that feels too big to me. Uh, I, I think Ole Miss wins, but I think that line's about right. I think it's three, four points. I think it's a really close game. I do. A&M plays close games, and they've got – I know they're, they're, they're all sorts of issues, but no one's blowing them out. I mean, they, they, were a, they were a play away from beating Alabama, and I know Bryce Young didn't play, but still. Yeah, I just believe in Ole Miss, and I hate Jimbo. What can I say? Uh, <laughs> Alabama, LSU, Mississippi State, and Vanderbilt are all on bye weeks this week. So, uh, yeah, figure that one out. Not not the thickest schedule I've ever seen in my life. Let's Boy, see if there's any other intriguing national games. You got Penn State, Ohio State at 11 a.m. on Fox. It's a weird time for that. Did you see? Did you see Lane Kiffin's quote about A and M today? <laughs> no. <laughs> he was asked about you know DJ Durkin, the former Ole Miss defensive coordinator, is now the same position at um, Texas A and M, and he was asked about trying to keep Durkin when he was being courted by Texas A and M, and he says, "quote We got outbid." Kind of a common theme with that program. <laughs> <laughs> now that's funny right there. Uh, it's also true. Yeah. Speaking the truth on that one. Uh, Kansas State, Oklahoma State in Manhattan on Fox 230. It's a pretty good game right there. I, I like watching the Pokes play. Yeah, for sure. And Kansas State, if they have their quarterback, they're good. If they don't have their quarterback, they're dog shit. Well, not dog shit. They're just kind of average. The fighting Gus Malzahn's are playing Cincinnati. Nobody cares. Uh, the Oregon Ducks at Auburn are people are really sore over because the quarterback from Auburn is now the quarterback at Oregon, and he's having a great year. And then uh, Michigan, Michigan State. Eh, some decent games, I guess. 
UCLA ended up being a paper tiger, just as I suspected. It happens sometimes. It does. Uh, next week we'll have uh, – who's Auburn got next week? Do you know? Mississippi State. Mississippi State, yeah. Uh, we'll have the Tennessee-Georgia uh, game, huge game, Alabama-LSU, the game in the West. We'll talk about those games and more. See what other uh, shenanigans we can come up to. Maybe Jay will run into some more softball moms by then. So uh, we'll wrap that one up. That does it for 193. 190, episode 193 of Greatest Pod in the South. Thanks again for making us a part of your week. Hope you have a great weekend, a safe weekend if you're traveling, and we will uh, hopefully talk to you again this time next week with episode 194 of Greatest Pod in the South. For JG Tate, I'm Neil McCready. Take care.